everybody. Hello, trauma thrivers. Hello. I knew I was going to get this completely muddled up with three M's. Mandy, Madeline, Melanie, welcome. There you go. I'll try not to do that again. Great to have you here, guys. And thank you so much for joining us on the Trauma Thrivers page to discuss the brilliant film, The Wisdom of Trauma with Gabor Mate that we all, I think, loved. I'm about to hear your opinions on it and hopefully others in the group when they join us. Um, and I don't know who wants to kick off with what they reckoned about the film. Where should we begin? Mads, are you all right with beginning? What did you think of it? Well, for me, it was very, um, it resonated a lot. It was very confirming, you know, because I, I'm a trauma survivor, a trauma thriver. I had a big trauma when I was 13. I was gang raped by two men. And um, when you spoke about the disconnect, that's what jumped into me. Like I felt so disconnected from myself. And I speak about being out of my body, actually not just that night, but for many, many, many years, I never felt home. I never felt in. And he says, when we're disconnecting, we're not feeling, and, and that was me. I was the expert at numbing out, at not feeling, at pushing it far, far away from my consciousness of not stepping into those dark places, because why would we want to? And also what resonated with me was when he spoke nearer to the end of the film about plant medicine, because I have tried a lot of therapies <laughs> in my recovery, and I didn't do ayahuasca, which is what he spoke about, but I've taken San Pedro and it, it was, it changed so much for me. It was, you know, I don't think one therapy in particular worked better than others. And it maybe came, it maybe was so good for me because where it came in my journey, it was very near to the end of my journey, but it just, like he said, it stripped me of all conditioning. It just left me with my trauma and what was, and it allowed me just to dive in in such a deep place, a uh, painful place, but it, plant medicine to me was transformational. Okay, that, that's brilliant because you've jumped in there at the end of what I was going to ask you all at the end, which was, you know, what really worked on the journey. And I wanted to, to, to bring that up because I think that's a really interesting area to talk about. Um, so thanks, Mads. Mel, what about you? What did you think of the film? I mean, for me, groundbreaking, absolutely groundbreaking. And the fact that we have this film that's been put out to people that perhaps haven't really understood what trauma is um, and to get a better understanding and you know Gabor Mate talks so much about compassion and you know what I my hope from that film is that that is what people tap into people tap into the fact that you know people with trauma are go are suffering you know people with addiction are suffering people that are acting out that are have these maladaptive coping mechanisms and, you know he and, and Gabor always says you know ask not why the addiction but why the pain and you know one of the things that he said is which really stood out to me is addiction is a response to trauma and I just you know I wish I'd been told that at the beginning of my journey because I think it would have saved me many, many years of trying to navigate my way through recovery mm -hmm. um, really in, in a really tough way. Yeah. 
And that would be great if we could all talk a little bit about the addiction and the coping strategies and everything else that we all utilised, I know, before we kind of got to the trauma. Um, that would be a really useful next question, I think, too. But Mandy, what did you think of the film? Where are you on it? Yeah, I mean, there was, I mean, I love what Mel just said, because I think, because I think I've done so much work, my, my own work in this area, it was like, you know, he's speaking my language and this is the things that I've been pushing for, you know, in my own recovery and, and with the work that I do. Um, but when you frame it in the sense that people who may not have had that kind of learning, um, it is groundbreaking and it is so um, of the time really. And, you know, and it was incredibly kind film and an incredibly loving film. And, you know, and I think um, that's where we need to be getting when we're talking about these things. And I, I really liked that he talked about harm reduction. I really liked that he talked about different pathways and talked about that, you know, it, it's, it's not what it was, but it's how it impacts on you and how it lives in your body and, and, and that kind of body up as well as mind down approach, which I think we all need to get to. And I know you're going to come on to this, but, you know, certainly it's like, how can that film or, or that knowledge get into every area of the, the way that we live our lives, you know, yes. practitioners to through to, mm. to every, to schools, to everything really, because, um, it is the, the human experience of, you know, dealing with what, whatever the, the trauma is um, and, and trying to cope, you know, and sometimes the way that you try to cope is life-saving for you at that moment, but it's criminalized or it's frowned upon or it's shamed. Um, so yeah, I just really hope that it sort of spreads out and it, it becomes something that opens up this com conversation more and more, yeah. um, you know, so, I loved it. I mean, the only thing I, I'll just say, the only thing, some of the language I still felt like we need to push a bit further, you know, calling people addicts um, or, you know, um, yeah, some of the, the portrayals were still quite rock bottom. Yeah. And it's like it would have been nice to have some of that more that kind of um, tenuous, you know, like impactful life experiences that people have that they might not call trauma and put yeah. that within the film too. So it's not just that sort of, that was my only thing that I was like, yeah, a little bit harder, but you know, but I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. 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 I hear you on that. I mean, I, I, I think that trauma is a, is a human condition and it's a condition that, many of us in humanity are struggling with at the moment and you know everybody in the world if you like and I, I know I'll come on to this too you know we've got to get our heads around trauma um, because everybody is struggling or a lot of people are struggling with it on some level and, I, and I'm with you Mandy I think you know the portrayal of the you know the homeless or, or the there's the somebody that's you know shooting up on on crack although some of us have been there obviously you know some of my clients have got the lesser known traumas that that, that they might have appeared to have had the greatest family or a loving mum and dad but actually mum and dad were drinking or mum and dad were dysregulated or mum and dad or dad didn't have a kind of narrative of their own trauma or history so they couldn't really connect and I think that 
relational misattunement and unholding and developmental stuff is often missed and people say well I haven't got trauma because I, I, I wasn't raped or I wasn't abused as a child and that actually isn't what trauma is is it you know so and I think you know Gabor Mate explains this so wonderfully well is that and I know we were having a little discussion about this before we before we came live which is that everybody has their own experience we are all made up so differently um, and it's only natural and only right that we experience things in a different way and what is traumatic for one isn't for another and the important thing is to not minimize people's experiences and um, to not be dictated by quite archaic clinical diagnosis, clinical parameters of what we are being told as a society trauma is. Yeah, or, or trauma isn't. And, you know, I suppose that leads me into the lovely question, Mel, that you brought up about what coping strategies we kind of all used and the addiction or what underpins the trauma that, you know, very often gives us a label or a diagnosis or an addict term. I mean, certainly, you know, in my early days in addiction, it was all about biology or, or chemistry, or it was all the disease model that I learned, you know, and I think we did half a day on trauma out of the 28 day treatment program. And that was only for a selective five people out of the 25, because you are the 20, you didn't have trauma. And, and I mean, I am going back a while, but I, I suppose I'd like to talk about the links between addiction and trauma and what you guys think about that personally and professionally. Mel, maybe first this time. I'll do it because otherwise I know. Oh, Lou, you want to get me on my soapbox, don't you? <laughs> I love it when you're on your soapbox. So, you know, you know, this is, you know, this is the question for me and um yeah, I mean, I, my trauma was developmental and I was, you know, sexually abused for many years as a child um, from pre-verbal until the age of 13 by, um, by both my father and my brother. And there was obviously at play lots of other family dynamics because of the abuse. Um, and looking back on it now, it was obvious that why I turned to drink and drugs in such a big way because the the pain of you know that that trauma was just was just too much for me to for me to handle. Um, but I think that unfortunately the message that I was given when I went into addiction recovery was that my trauma and my addiction were two very separate things. Yeah. And, you know, I was given this, this message, this narrative that I took on, which was that the, I would have been an addict whether I had, whether I had suffered the trauma that I did or not. Um, and I, and I believe- Can I stop you one yeah. second? We've just had a text from Nick to say that we're not live or something. He can hear us, but he can't. Thing is going on technically can hear you all talking you're not on trauma thrivers 
Well, I can see it. We, we are. Oh, yeah. yeah, we are. Is anybody getting a note? We you are, are live, it says, yeah. Ah, comment. Okay, ignore me. I just got a text through, suddenly thought that we're not, and everybody's <laughs> there and they can't hear yeah, us. Yeah, they say, I see and hear you fine. Uh, okay, cool. Thank you. Sorry, Mel. Carry on. I interrupted you. Um, My inflow. Sorry. Fine, no problem. Um, so, yeah, so I took on this narrative. Um, and so the, the, the treatment or the recovery that I went into for addiction wasn't addressing my trauma. And so I was only able to sustain sobriety for short periods of time because we weren't getting to the underlying cause of why, you know, addiction is a symptom, you know, and we are still treating addiction as a primary disease. Um, you know, we're getting all of these people into these treatment centers and letting them back out into the world without having understood what the and, under and, I, and I hear you I hear you I just suppose I'm going to come up in a little bit of defense of the treatment centers just a little in that we know with trauma that we've got to do stabilization work first we do know that and we can't go in and open up the trauma until somebody's got a strong enough what we call adult or ego strength to be able to go there and process the trauma. So, but I hear you, Mel, and I think that if somebody were in primary, and we talked about this on a webinar we did to the addiction world a, a couple of months ago, if primary treatment or addiction treatment wasn't 28 day, and it was longer, and you had a chance to keep somebody in treatment, long for three months say then you could start and really effectively do the trauma work but it's a tricky one because I I hear you on one level but on another I know that stabilization work and getting people at least a little bit regulated or able to manage some of their affect and emotions is kind of quite necessary before we go into the deeper trauma work Absolutely. And that, and that was my experience. You know, I, I needed for me, it was a 12 step program underpinning my recovery, my trauma recovery, because, you know, they, they needed to be in tandem. They needed to go side by side. But I think what my experience was, was that there wasn't, it wasn't even a trauma informed process. And that when I left the treatment center, there wasn't the aftercare, there wasn't this, there wasn't any guidance around, okay, now you need to start looking at this other stuff. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I absolutely agree. We can't start opening a Pandora's box of, of people's trauma when they're in, in treatment for 28 days. It's just not possible. Yeah, and I will, will add something to that. And I know, um, you know, my recovery wasn't through 12 step and, you know, and I respect it and I, you know, and it works for some people, but for me, I, I think that that model needs to be trauma-informed, right? Because okay. it does a lot of great work, but, you know, saying someone is powerless um, when they have been powerless in their lives can be incredibly, you know, traumatizing. And, and so I think that at a fundamental, within the treatment system as well, it's like, well, where is this person in, in this? And, and, you know, and what's the language that we're using around their own recovery? 
and around you know how they describe themselves and their relationship with whatever substance thing that they got involved in um, and in, in, and allow them to choose that you know without the labeling without the you know and again for some people it's the best thing because it's holding them in a in a you know in a in a way in a system and it feels very safe but certainly for me it was like I'm not I'm not empowering I'm not yeah. powerless like yeah. this no, don't tell me that. That's how yeah. I felt for the last 15 years. And, and I hear you and I agree with that too. And I think it's that maybe if it were trauma-informed and trauma recovery yeah. knew at the beginning that we psycho-educated people yeah. and we said that a part of you might feel powerless yeah. because the traumatised parts of us are obviously very much younger, aren't they? And they do feel powerless because we feel powerless in those parts to change but that doesn't mean that we don't need to empower mm. the adult and strengthen the adult resourceful present moment self yeah yeah you know Mads what's your thoughts on it all different to you all because I've never been treated for any addictions my only treatment I guess was after a failed suicide attempt when I was 13 I was in a psychiatric ward for about six months and I hadn't yet spoken out about what had happened to me, but they had no idea. You know, I actually asked for my notes when I wrote my book and I got about 200 pages. So about 70 pages, this was in Great Truman Street before um, ear issues, uh, having loads of ear infections. About another 70 pages were for kidney infections and literally like 50 pages were for a six month stay in a psychiatric ward. Mm -hmm. They had me down as suicidal, anorexic, ad troubled adolescent, that's what my notes said. Mm -hmm. And I was sent away with, you know, antidepressants. And once I put on enough weight, they let me go home. We did used to do family therapy, but I, I literally didn't say a word because I was threatened that if I spoke, you know, they would come back and find me. So I had was on, I guess, kind of selective mute for a few years until I spoke out. But, it really shocked me. I wanted to get my notes to see if they had any idea why I stopped speaking, stopped eating, hated myself. Nothing, nothing in my notes suggests they had any idea. This was the late 1970s, but I, I don't know if, if it's any better now or not. So that, that actually really shocked me. Yeah, yeah. There was nothing there. So my addictions were, were different addictions. I did use drugs and alcohol, but it was really just to numb out to stop thinking to stop feeling to stop you know any memories just to you know, really just be a blank a blank person that's really why I did it and and so for all of you when did the word trauma come into your language when did you find out that actually it, you had trauma that was running the addictions or running the eating disorders or or running when did you realize, Mandy? When I was trained as yeah. a psychotherapist. Was it? Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I, you know, I didn't because it obviously triggered a lot of stuff. I, I was thinking I was fine and I was healed. I was okay. It doesn't take much to press a few buttons when you're doing that kind of training for it all to come up. And there, I, you know, they they started to explain to me this is a normal reaction to something that's totally abnormal that happened to you, you know, all that you suppressed and all the way you responded was perfectly normal to what happened. But yeah, I just thought I was a bit bonkers really, you know, that uh, this, I was behaving the way that I was and always on edge, and, you know, and then 
uh, when I was doing training for rape crisis as a volunteer, we were talking about disassociation and PTSD, the, you know, the side effects. I ticked practically every single thing on the list and I thought, this is me. This is what I've been living with for years. The reason why I jumped at everything, why I was so, you know, touchy, why I was so paranoid, all of it, you know, just made perfect sense. But if I hadn't done that training, I would never have known. So I had no diagnosis. It was all self-diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And it was my self-seeking to um, just clean up, drain my swamp kind of, that led me to try all the various different therapies. Um, it was never suggested by anyone else, really. Wow. Another, but yeah, it was in training when I learned about it. Wow, amazing. So what, Madeline, you just um, touched on something that, that triggered a memory for me from from the, the film, um, which was about, you know, talking, talking around how anger doesn't have to be destructive mm -hmm. and how, you know, the pain that we feel can be a catalyst to show us deeper inside of ourselves. And I think as a society, um, we're quite often taught that anger is destructive, that we shouldn't feel it, that we should run from pain, that, you know, we, we shouldn't address it, yeah. uh, that it's too much. Um, and all of that stuff that you've just talked about, if we had a trauma-informed society that could show us and teach us this at the beginning, when we're going into those psychiatric units, when we're going into those treatment centers, when we're going to the therapist, to the, to the psychiatrist, that we're being told at that point, this anger and this pain is everything you need to heal. Yeah. And, and I'd even go back one and say, why aren't we teaching all of this in schools and emotional regulation skills and everything else and about you know how to manage and how to to be with ourselves mm -hmm. and also how to parent mm -hmm. yes you know because nobody's taught that yeah so yeah i think for me it was it was a roundabout journey because you know i got like violently sexually assaulted and raped i that's probably the second time I've said that out loud. I'm quite still quite early in the wow, that's, well, well done you. That's bloody brave. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I, I stuck on sexually assaulted for a long time. Violent, then the violence was added. And it's, it's the, um, when I was 18, um, traveling around Mexico. Um, and so, um, yeah, so at that time I said to everyone, like, well, my friend that was with me, I said, let's never talk about this again yeah you know it's never gonna happen and then I think I, I was pretty dissociated for about a year um you know afterwards I've talked to my other friend that I carried on traveling with and she was like we had a conversation about it on the plane you wrote me a letter you gave me a letter and I didn't think any you know I didn't believe something had happened for yeah 15 years so like every single day was like did it happen did it not did it happen did it not did I make it up you know, all of that stuff. Um, and then I had kind of a burnout when I was um, about sort of, yeah, early thirties. So I was drinking too much, living abroad, had a high powered job, two little kids. And the rage was a real thing at that point. Um, you know, I'd had a daughter and I think that threw something in me was just like, I don't know how um, to keep her safe. Um, but again, the trauma conversation wasn't there really. And I did a lot of my therapy in French. So it might have been mentioned, but lost in, in translation. 
Um, and it was only until I'd kind of, you know, realized that I was, you know, suffering from depression, was, you know, anxious, couldn't, you know, chronic insomnia because it, you know, they broke into the room where I was sleeping at night and woke me up. Well, I don't know what happened, but um, that then I was drinking too much. Then I stopped drinking for a year, got a lot better. So I was like, yeah, he changed everything, you know, moved to the seaside, was going to have a perfect life, not the stressful job, which they often say, right, is you get rid of the stresses, but you don't deal with the stress. Um, and then all of a sudden I had another nervous breakdown and I was like constantly checking the locks around the new house constantly, you know, like about eight times a night going around. So I was put on antipsychotics at that point because I stopped sleeping. Um, and it was at that point, so 15 years afterwards, someone said to, you know, I think you should pursue EMDR and, you know, you, you know, they said it to me, it's like, you were raped. And I was like, yeah, <sighs> interesting. Wow. At that point, I'd never told my parents, I'd never told anyone. So I literally told my parents like, um, two years ago. Wow. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. yeah. And then I started writing about it on Instagram you know so it's like you can write about it but it's still separate from you but actually saying it out loud is quite it's quite new <laughs> so there we go <laughs> well done bloody scary to start with as well and, and I suppose you know for anybody listening that's not outed their trauma yet or who is still at the beginning or middle of their journey I think what I'm hearing is is that for all of us, it's taken a bit of time to even be able to stand here or sit here today and, and speak about our stuff. You know, it's, it's not an overnight thing, is it? Um, and a marathon. <laughs> sorry, it's a marathon, yeah, rather than a sprint. Absolutely, absolutely. For me as well, Lou, it's, it's not just about being able, I think I have been able to talk about my trauma for a really long time because I disclosed about my abuse when I was 13 years old right. and of course because I was still a minor I was taken straight into you know I, I had to give statements to police I had to give evidence in court I had to you know I had to speak about it and I had to speak about it in great detail and great length um, for me the difficult bit has been to attach yeah. to the trauma yes because, and I remember that having this experience when I was in a treatment center where I wrote my life story, um, as we do, for anyone that's been in treatment, you will know the, the experience of my life story, a wonderful experience. Um, I think the first, the first time I was in treatment, my life story was about 25 pages. And then when I went into my second treatment center, I managed to get it down to about nine. <laughs> don't need that, don't need that. But I remember, yeah, I remember sitting in this room of people and reading my life story and I finished reading it and I was, there was no emotion. Um, I was completely dissociated from it, completely detached from it and looking around and even the therapist was in tears. Yeah. And she said to me, and she just looked at me and she said, Melody, what is going on here? Look at these people. Yeah look at you know look at what's going on here and I could not attach myself to what had happened to me and that's been you know that's been my the difficult part of my journey yeah. and he says as well if we're not conscious then we're not free yes 
you know, and that, that really jumped out of me. I, mean, I highlighted that bit. And I was exactly the same as you, different trauma, but responded in exactly the same way, just totally minimized, shut off from it. I mean, I was, before my family knew what had happened to me, they used to call me the ice maiden because I was just, I didn't speak, you know, I was just didn't feel, didn't think, and, and yeah, just numbed out from it. Just, that didn't happen to me very much. Like Mandy was saying that, did that really happen? Did that not happen? And when eventually all the memories came back, triggered when my eldest was 13, it was like, bloody hell. <laughs> I can't really deny anymore what happened, especially when I was having therapeutic body treatments because my I couldn't trust my mind, but I, my body responded in ways that there was definitely trauma in me. And, you know, they would say, this hasn't come from nowhere because I was just caught in denial, so much denial, didn't want to believe it because I thought, if it was that bad, I'd remember it. Now I understand it's that bad. So we numb out and we don't want to remember it. Who wants to remember these things? But actually, that's the very thing that saved me was to go into it because we have to feel to heal. We have to really step into the darkest shadows. Otherwise, we never do the work. We're trapped by them. And yeah, all of what you're saying just resonates so much. I, I hear you. And I think denial is a dissociation is a really good word for denial because you know anybody that's listening I suppose what I'd like to say is that you come into and you embody bit by bit by bit by bit it's not like we've all come in overnight and suddenly you know the denial is gone and we're fully associated and in the body and feeling it all it's a real gradual process isn't it you know integrating the head and the body and I saw a lovely post by Brené Brown who says denial stands for don't even know I am lying so yeah even know we're doing it we can only yeah. fix things when we see it so you have to really create that awareness and become aware of that you're avoiding numbing out distracting you know yeah. all the games that we stop going into those spaces but yeah I thought that was brilliant don't even know I'm lying and yeah. we, we lie to ourselves yeah. and I think it's that thing of you know it goes back to this addiction kind of conversation it's like we do the things to keep us safe you know they're coping strategies so denial is is a way of of coping disassociation totally. you know, is a way of coping you know um not sort of seeking out the, the therapy right that moment is you know it's all okay right if you're like oh my goodness I've got so much work to do but I'm terrified it's like that's okay you know you meet yourself where you're at right now and that's why you know this conversation about harm reduction and looking at people where they're at right now is so important because you know it is it's a gradual process it is totally and, and I I agree you can't push someone into it and and you just might not be ready and you might never be ready you know and that's also okay you know yeah. it's it's just sort of like meeting people where they're at and going well what what do you need right now you know and where are you right now and I think the only way we can do that as practitioners is if we're trauma-informed to go okay I see all the picture I hear all the things and now what do you need for you in this situation yeah, yeah. I think the only ways that we can do that as well and I come back to this again is the compassionate inquiry yeah. you know one of the things that um that I just one of the, the bits in the film that really touched me deeply was the scenes in the prison um and you know what comes to me is you know we're still punishing people for their pain 
we're punishing people for their pain and that's just it needs to change it needs to change we need to become a compassionate society we need to question and be curious why are people doing these things what is underneath all of it and I think the more trauma-informed, I mean, you know, we've got trauma-informed schools now in the UK, uh, 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 which is great. Um, uh, Mark Escott is running School for Life, which is amazing if that could just go out everywhere. I know that, you know, if we could get it into the criminal justice system, but, but trauma has kind of become the new zeitgeist, hasn't it? Um, and trauma is used, I know, as a word quite a lot. And um, what does it really mean? And in fact, what's the link between trauma and mental health? And I don't know, where do we see? Because this film is obviously getting awareness. I mean, for me, mental health, as I was saying to some of you earlier, doesn't really make much sense. And it never has, because what's mental point to it. And mental health is such a broad, it, it doesn't really mean anything. Whereas trauma or a dysregulated nervous system does and so for me all mental health really symptoms or challenges whether it's depression or anxiety or OCD or eating disorders or addiction or whatever the mental health is comes from a dysregulated nervous system which comes from trauma so I guess that's my next point to all of you what are your thoughts on that? Whose turn first, Mads? Yeah, I think really like Mel said, it's about asking the right questions rather than saying what's wrong with you. It's, it's what happened to you. Yeah. You know, um, look beyond the labels. I remember when I was at college, one of the, the things they had up on the wall, I have to remember it now, it's not the person's problem that is a problem, it's the person's perception of the problem that is a problem. So it's again, always what we do with it and any side effects it's just the fallout really from something underneath that so you're, you're not just someone with an eating disorder where did that stem from what, what why did that happen you're not just someone with depression what's the reason you know what what are you pressing down that you don't want to reveal all of these things why do you have anxiety ocd ptsd why are you disassociating rather than just labeling and and not looking to really understand and asking the right questions because he said the truth is in all of us and it's to me is just unveiling it isn't it it's like one layer at a time peeling back another layer and another layer because the real us is always inside of that but it just got covered up with all this layers and layers of as mandy said our way of coping it's maybe not the healthiest way of coping but that's just it's almost like a, a biological response. We really can't help it. You know, at 13, I didn't think, right, I'm just gonna numb out now. It just went into automatic. <laughs> it yeah. just did what it what my wiring is programmed to do when it's under extreme stress. So it's really about looking, asking the right questions, stop labeling people. Yeah. Gabor Mate asks four questions, which is what happened to us? Why the disease? Why in this person and why now? You know, and when you think about those questions, the importance of them is just that it, it's on such a huge scale because, you know, this is about exactly as you said, Madeline, about getting curious and becoming aware. Everything starts with the awareness. Um, and I think that's what this film was about. 
essentially is, is bringing that awareness into the consciousness of people. Um, but those four questions to me when I heard them, um, and especially, you know, this word disease, um, you know, dis-ease, what is causing the dis-ease inside of us? What is causing, you know, the, the chronic fatigue, the autoimmune diseases, yeah, all of that stuff. You know, it's not just the mental health stuff, it's the physical health stuff that's going on too. Yeah, someone said in the comments, which um, I said, which I thought was interesting, we're also still punishing ourselves for our pain as well, you know, so it's not only that it's like the exterior systems don't have this, but it's also our interior systems of how we treat ourselves and that comes back again to that self-compassion and kind of self-care it's like it's okay to rest it's okay that that was stressful yeah. you know and as you were saying Lou earlier it's that kind of you know parenting that in a child and, and being able to sort of have those conversations and say all of this is, yeah. is okay. and, and, and Mandy even you know sometimes I'm sure all of us are aware of this too not even parenting that inner child but actually even acknowledging that we might have an inner child who's not okay mm -hmm. you know that we unfortunately carry on the criticizing and the abusing of yeah. ourselves because that's what we feel that we deserve that we we're not worthy of being treated in any other way and you know part of all of our process i'm sure is to learn how to start to if not like at least tolerate those parts of ourselves that we'd rather disown or get rid of or ignore because those are the parts that we... <laughs> it wasn't just parts it was all of me yeah well I, i'm trying to say parts because if we can identify them as parts i always think and younger selves and teenage selves and everything else rather than i you know the i is our adult present moment self and that part of us doesn't want to hurt ourselves that part of us wants to get into recovery or to be well or to to work on the trauma it's the traumatized parts isn't it that that feel so even if I didn't understand it, something always drove me to just clean up and clean up and clean up. And, and that's your goodness, that's your essence, your heart. Just, yeah. there's more to you than this. That's something I always just knew that I'm not what happened to me. You know, I'm, all of us are so much more. And, and that's what drove me just to continually, like quite a mad groupie for therapy, just keep going, keep going and just clean it up. Yeah. And again, that's one of, um, you know, Gabor's messages is, the disconnection from our authentic selves and one of the things i love is is the term the wisdom of trauma because i believe that is talking about that inner wisdom that we have that innate wisdom that we are born with that authentic self that we become detached from through trauma mm. because it is no longer safe to trust ourselves and for me the journey of healing and the journey of recovery is healing myself home to my authentic self 100%. Yeah. Said, I've got this written down here. Trauma is pushing down lots of energy to not feel. As we heal, energy of trauma can be used to live life. Mm. And I like that. <laughs> That's lovely. So where do you guys, just to kind of finish off, see the future of trauma 
and mental health and treatment and how can this film, not only this film, but us and the trauma thrivers groups and those of us that are trauma informed or aware, how can we take this out into what feels like sometimes a bit of a traumatized world without wanting to be negative? What are your thoughts on where next for you personally, professionally, and for other people, what would you like to have happen in the trauma field? Not a big question, I know. Mandy, you go first. Don't burst on the spot too much. Oh, no, sorry. Well, um, you can ask me back if you like anything. Yeah, I mean, you can get your own back in a yeah, minute. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think as you said, it's those kind of it's it's the top down and the bottom up, right? So it's like education for 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 young people in schools. You know, it's it's um, teachers that are trauma informed, but it's also that top down, you know, because the, there is such a disconnect with the the establishment and you know and the authorities about any of this. Um, and you know, it's very complex because, as someone said in the chat, you know, prisons bring in a lot of money, you know, so there's there's economic issues to address. There's you know um, there's the trauma of those people. I mean, you know. I'm sure some of us know working in treatment centers that are very expensive, they're some of the, the most traumatized people, you know, not the most traumatized, but there is exceptionally traumatized people in very wealthy circles, as much as there are in very poor circles, you know, and so all of the levels need to, to be able to, to heal in order to be able to push forward with, um, with a political agendas that are trauma informed. Um, so just a little, you know, yeah. but certainly for me, you know, it's like, a little bit work, yeah, in our work, it's, it's, go, yeah, trying to sort of go into, you know, create accessible res resources, which your resources are fantastic, you know, on Instagram, they're free, you know, you can give people that psychoeducation and just start filtering it through, you know, build courses that are, you know, a weekend to just give that little bit to practitioners or to, you know, CEOs of companies, because it it has to filter down in, in, yeah. in every sense, because if they're not treating or understanding the people coming into their workforce, you know, if they're supplying alcohol, you know, without any alcohol-free drinks, if they are, you know, creating a culture which is success-driven and not allowing people to rest, all of that kind of interacts. So, yeah. Thank you. I hear you. I agree. Mel? As you know, I have much to say on this subject, but um, I, I was sitting here thinking, what's what's the one thing that I really want to kind of say about this today? And, you know, I could talk about my ideas of treatment centres and trauma retreats and all. It's just endless. However, I think what I would like my overriding message to be, particularly due to the forum that we're, we're doing this in this evening, is healing happens in community yeah healing happens in community let's support each other let's show each other compassion let's you know lift each other up and and, and tell our stories those of us that can shout loud for those that can't um you know and and let's just put our arms around each other you know this is for me i think one of the things yeah hugs Virtual. hugs you know one of the things that that resonates so much to me um that was talked about in the film is that 
I'm getting a bit emotional. Sorry. About right, that. it's good. It's good. Is, that, you know, trauma happens, developmental trauma happens, not because of the experience, but because the, a child is left alone with that experience. And that feeling of being alone, we carry throughout our lives. Mm-hmm. And for me, one of the most healing things that happened was when I sat in a room and somebody said to me, you're not alone. Yeah. It's that attunement where there's been so much misattunement, isn't it? And that being heard and that being seen. Yeah. I'm fortunate that I've done some work within prisons with the Forgiveness Project. They run a program called Restore. Yeah, of course you have. Yeah. About storytelling, you know, but there's maybe 15, 16 prisoners a prison officer, maybe three of us from the Forgiveness Project, one's been a perpetrator of crime, one's been a victim of crime, and it's really about sharing our stories, and then they all come in very guarded, and at the end of three, four days, it's the most intense course ever to take part in and to facilitate, to witness what takes place. There's just, as you said, that power in sharing our stories, it's so they look at the prison officer in a different way they suddenly see that they're human you know they've had similar experiences and all the different prisoners go yeah that's me I've had that me too and I'd say 100% of all of us in the room the facilitators and the people taking part all came from a place of trauma every single one of us and it just it just did something to to give it oxygen, you know, to speak it out loud, like Mandy was saying, how hard it is when we first start telling our stories. Oh. But Melanie, absolutely, I agree that, which is why I don't work as a therapist anymore, because I'm passionate about speaking out, about sharing my story to end that shame, because the shame is from the trauma. The stigma is from society. The silence is also from the trauma and society. But yeah, if we, the more of us that speak out and share it, it is so good to know kind of not so good to know that there's lots of us because that's awful but you know the yeah. alone, you know um and look, look how common all of our stories are there's so much that crosses over with all of us that uh, it, it, it's just i just really believe in the power of sharing stories it's, mm-hmm. it's just so healing for the storyteller and for the person that's listening as well and the more i share my story i don't have any shame left whatsoever nothing to do with what I did, what I wore, what I drank that night. It came down to the fact two men decided to rape me and that was it, you know, yeah. and, and that's what I'm just on a mission to do. Uh, I'm just going to continue, continue what I'm doing. Love it. Love it. We so lastly, and I promise this is last. <laughs> huh? We want to hear from you. Yeah, I promise yes. this is last. I, I, sorry. I missed it again. I'm talking over you. Look. I said, we want to hear from you on this. We want to hear what your views are. Well, I was going to just ask you the last question, which was going to be about what you did to heal that really made a difference or what was the one thing that in your healing journey that really made a difference. But um, I guess for me, my mission is a bit like Mads, is in that it took me a long time to find my voice. I was absolutely terrified of public speaking. I had to do course after course in my 30s to even speak in front of five people was just horrendous. Um, And then I did EMDR on my 
uh, sexual trauma of my sexual abuse as a child and later rape as a teenager. And when I did my first TEDx talk, I managed to do it on my addiction and psychosis. I was admitted to a psychiatric hospital at 24, having gone a bit uh, crazy, let's say, in Richmond-upon-Thames. Um, I, I, I could only share in my TEDx about those two things. I couldn't share about my sexual trauma. I couldn't share about the CSA nor the rape. And that came much later in my own journey as a therapist, let alone in therapy. Um, and actually, I only I only went and reported both crimes to the police a few years ago after my cancer diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I suppose I'm saying to anybody watching that it is a gradual process and sometimes we can't find our voices on everything to start with, but over time sharing and in community and in safe connection with others like we have here, you can share bit by bit by bit by bit. And finally, you know, like Mandy has today, find the courage for the second time to say, yeah, this happened to me. And Mads, you'll say once you do that, it's so liberating. And it's even more liberating, isn't it? When you can do it in a forum like this or from a stage or whatever, because we're saying to anybody watching, you can find your voice and you can share this. And there are people that will listen and hear you and that really care. I think that was a bit of a round the houses answer to your question, wasn't it? <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. So lastly, seriously, what was the main thing that helped you on your trauma journeys? Or what were the big things that helped you? I think saying the word rape, as Mandy said, you know, to admit to myself I was raped. But as I mentioned earlier, when my memories came back, I struggled because I thought I'd made it all up. because I'd worked at Women's Aid for 14 years, rape crisis for six years. I thought I just ingested other women's stories and, you know, I just got very confused. And then my therapist suggested to try some therapeutic body work and I went for therapeutic massage and I heard this person that was kicking and screaming and shouting and crying with the therapist. I thought, for goodness sake, who is making all that flipping noise? And I thought, oh my God, it's me. <laughs> all of that. And I was so embarrassed, but it was so confirming. It was like, I could not make my body respond that way if there was nothing inside of me. And it actually, it, it really helped as mortified as I was. So then, then that sent me on the journey of um, cranial cycle therapy, sweat lodges, taking plant medicine, walking on fire, transformational breath work, anything to get back into my body and connect because I was just disconnected for so years. So anything that landed me back home really, because I'd left, I was just a house with no furniture in. So I was getting furnished again. <laughs> so yeah. But Very speaking good. definitely, definitely the speaking therapy helped to start with, but then it was all about releasing it from my body so that I could integrate it to kind of line it all up because it was just it wasn't it was all mismatched yeah Mandy what was yeah well I mean like even saying it today you know there's still definitely a bit of disconnection I'm not gonna lie it's like that just said that's fine um you know but uh, that's that's okay too um so I think for me it's definitely been my sobriety 
um, you know, stopping drinking and making that choice to um, be present in my own life and stop outsourcing it to something else um, was probably the biggest gift that I gave myself in my trauma recovery. And, um, you know, talking about it bit by bit, therapy for sure, um, having a network of people around me um, that I trust um, and other trauma drivers, you know, I think it's really, there's something about that experience that you need to be able to say it to people that understand that you can talk about it, but there's something in that look in the eye where it's like, okay, you really get it at a deep, profound kind of level. Um, and just the, I think the, the knowledge that I decided to, you know, rather than, you know, I was a real hedonist, I was a rave girl in the nineties, took loads of drugs and, you know, lived for the day. And that was a, you know, my way of coping through the world as uh, the chaos that I saw it. Um, and that kind of understanding of like, I'm an adult now, I'm allowed to be an adult, you know, the age of 37 or whatever it was when I sort of chose to get sober, you know, and my life is the rest of my life. It's not just for today. And that kind of that opening up of going, wow, you know, like nothing has to be solved today. It can just be a process. You know, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. And, you know, that's super exciting. And just all of it is like, okay, well, I don't need to know all the answers now. I can just keep going, you know, a little bit more, adding to the picture, you know, as you were saying, sort of nourish the garden, you know, a metaphor of just like, just keep planting seeds, see what grows, what doesn't. And just that kind of compassionate sort of look on things. And yes, you know, so just that, for the first time choosing me, I suppose, which started with me stopping drinking. Lovely, lovely, thank you. <laughs> I think for me, similar in, in to, to both, to, to all three of you in so many ways, but for me, the real, the real healing started when that link was made for me, when I, when I was able to marry the trauma and the addiction, because it was at that point that I understood I could stop punishing myself for the things that I had done in my addiction, that I could stop harming myself, that, I, you know, that I saw, finally saw addiction as that's what it was. It was, it was harming me, although it was a coping mechanism, it turned on me and I was using it to harm myself. And, and the realization that I didn't have to do that anymore, that there was another way, that there was another solution. And I think, you know, I've had all the, you know, done all the therapies as well. And each and every one of them has served a purpose. I think the biggest one for me was the first experiential work. I did one of the peer melody um, trauma workshops, which was huge for me. That was really, um, that was the first time that I really felt like I got to release the shame. And for me, the shame was what kept me stuck for a really, really long time. Um, that toxic shame. Um, so being able to relieve myself of a lot of that was was huge. Um, the somatic work that I've done has been massive. For me now, my healing continues through healing others. Mm. My healing continues through being able to see a light come on in other people and knowing that the pain that I went through and everything that I have that has challenged me in my life that I has, have suffered through was, was for a purpose. Um, and I think that is what continues to heal me now on a daily basis. Beautiful. Thank you, lovely ladies. 
have we got some q a questions in the box or lots of comments okay i've seen i haven't seen any questions but i could have missed them but i think that um i mean should we open it up for yeah let's open it up questions? i think so Let's open it up. So if anybody watching has got any questions that you'd like to ask any of us, please do fire away now. We'd love to answer them and be here just for you. Or maybe let us know anything that you want to see in the Trauma Thrivers group as well. This is- Yeah, a, yeah, yeah, this is your, yeah. Find your voice. Yeah, <laughs> go on, be brave. Be brave. We'll wait a couple of moments just to see if anything comes through. Pajati says, all very clear. Thank you. Have to leave. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Lots and lots of comments, which I think, yeah. I think when we post the, the replay, people will be able to see. Yeah. Because there's some really, there's some great comments here. Some really people, all of, all of you wise amazing people that are in this group giving us so much food for thought and, and feedback it's amazing thank you so I mean, what I, next? I guess I have a question for because one of the questions was around um yeah I have a question for Madeline if I may um about um yeah sort of plant-based therapies etc um because the idea is terrifying Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you um how did you get over the fear really I suppose is yeah I've worked with a shaman I guess for about 15 years like a teacher of life and I know some people at his workshops had used um San Pedro which is a lot softer than ayahuasca I was terrified of ayahuasca because that can render you senseless you literally can't move and you're just throwing up and pooping yourself and I thought somebody could do anything to me because I was still so paranoid about men but I knew San Pedro was much softer. And the very first time I went to these workshops, they were up in the highlands of Scotland. We also did a sweat lodge every night. Everybody was having fun. The guys were like swimming in the lakes, climbing the trees, loving life. And I was curled up in a fetus position, just, you know, in trauma, deep, deep trauma, hating the world, angry at everybody, crying my eyes out. And I, I say I've done about five retreats with it and the very last one and all those times it's the push and the pull, wanting to see the pictures, not wanting to see the pictures, mm -hmm. fighting against it and wanting it. But the very last time I just said to myself, rather than fight it, just show me everything you've got. And I literally took myself down to the river by myself and I sat at the pond's edge while I was at the pond, the river's edge while I was taking the San Pedro. And I said, just show me the show. And I just sat and I watched everything that happened to me. And it, it just totally transformed it. When I put down my weapons and I stopped fighting, and, and that was really the stopping, I guess, of the denial of what had happened because all those other times I was just fighting. I can't believe that had happened to me because I thought that was a reflection of me. You know, if people knew that, they would be disgusted because I was disgusted. Mm. I, I thought I was worthless and it was just my trauma that's mm. saying that to me. So, yeah, the San Pedro was transformative for me. It really was. Um, but it's, it's not. I think that was the part of the film where I went <gasps> a little bit and was just like. <gasps> yeah, well, Gab Gabor Marte is quite a big advocate, isn't he, of, 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 you know, hallucinogenics. And I mean, it's coming in much more into the 
psychological profession now about you know micro dosing and all the rest of it I mean the jury's out for me I suppose the jury's out you know I've had a cacao experiment with some chocolate which was you know I quite like chocolate anyway so I didn't think that would be too dodgy but I don't know Mandy whether the other two know my story but I my psychosis was brought on by LSD at 24 and then I was kind of sectioned and 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 dribbling and couldn't walk or talk so I I did have an amazing experience on the LSD where you know I, I was um as happy as Larry and completely enlightened and had no limiting beliefs whatsoever and was on stage with Oprah Winfrey and the Dalai Lama so it was bloody brilliant but I then got sectioned and locked up and haliperidol and lithium, I think, later made me a walking, talking zombie for about six months. So barely able to make a cup of tea. So I think there's something that terrifies me yeah. too about. It really wasn't hallucinogenic. It just stripped all my conditioning and it just left me with what was underneath. Mm. What well, I think is really interesting about you was that there was a moment of you know what you said was there was a moment of relief it was just like I'm ready now to just tell me the story because I've had the same sort of thing with the MDR where it's like I start throwing up and I'm like and she's like you kind of need to let it happen we've talked to my inner protector you know we've had the chat okay let's start again and I'm like "Mm." so it's again it's that okay it's fine but it's just I'm just not it's surrendering to it. It's so hard to stop it, is. Hard, isn't it? It's that's, yeah. that's the trick. It's just eventually I just surrendered. Yeah. Yeah. And I think whatever the process is, whether it's San Pedro or EMDR or or whatever it is, it's about, you know, that critical parent or defense defensive voice, if you like, just going, Oh, I'm gonna back off and then just let me go with it, you know, take yeah. me there. Because, you know, in EMDR, have exactly the same, have had personally and professionally with people. Once you can just go there and be in the somatic and stay with it, yeah. you always land at the beach. I mean, the wave is going to feel colossal yeah. and like it's a tsunami. But, you know, I always say to clients, I've never actually had anybody stay with me overnight, ever. That, they're, they're, that they've gone there and that they haven't at some point. Feels like it's never going to end, doesn't it? But it it does. Sometimes. We've got lots of questions. Um, oh, okay. I, don't, I don't know that we've got time to, to go through all of them. Um, but well, one, one question that, that's just, that I've just landed on, which I think is a really interesting one, is um, Helen saying, how do we normalise talking about trauma? Like what we're doing now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Just talk, just be open and honest. And, you know, we talk about schools and nursery as well. We should just start the younger, the better. So anything that feels off, just it's normal to come and speak to someone about it. Just by, by normalising it. That's how we normalise it. Yeah, I think there's a real, once you start talking, you know, because there's so much fear, like, because, you know, you, especially if you, your family systems as a child, and you've, you've been the protector of others, or whatever, you're terrified that you're going to give that information to other people, and it's going to hurt them, or upset them, or, or make it, so I certainly felt like that, it was like, I've got to protect everybody else, and just keep this for me, and I think once you start, once you tell one person, one safe person, which is not always 
easy to find that person. Um, it just unlocks that kind of ability to just keep sharing, you know, and even to the point, you know, I, because I post a lot on Instagram, my kids are old enough now to have Instagram. It's like I had to sit down and say, you might read stuff, you know, so let's just talk about it. And a lot of people were like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, really? And it's like, but what is the best message that I can teach them? It's like, this happened. I'm okay. Sometimes it's not easy, but anything happens to you, you can talk about it, you know, and it is, it's just that dialogue of, of opening up. Um, yeah. I agree. And I, I also think that sometimes, you know, as we say, the word trauma is quite loaded. So often I, I use something like talking about a dysregulated nervous system or a nervous system that's got a lot of fizz in it, rather than actually saying trauma and starting to learn it more in a nervous system kind of language, because everybody gets nervous system, you know, and, and we can all talk about dysregulation versus regulation. And then it's not too stigmatizing. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love that. I'm just not connected or not grounded. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dis disconnected is a is a word that I, I tend to I tend to use a lot. Um, or just, I mean, sometimes it's just about keeping it really simple and just asking about painful experiences. Yeah. <laughs> Significant emotional events is what I call them. Oh, I yeah. yeah. What significant emotional events have you had? And some people will still say, I haven't had any because that rupture in attachment over the first few years of life is so subtle often, you know, that they don't recognize that that's trauma or dysregulation, that they've had nobody's nervous system to scaffold up against, you know, so impactful life experiences is the one yeah that's a good one yeah and we've got another question how how do we form a community that is more inclusive i'm thinking of other things as well as emdr is that a community in trauma thrivers that's more about inclusive of other things other than emdr is it very emdr heavy trauma thrivers I, I, I'm not sure that it's trauma thrivers specific. Okay. I, I looked at that question as um, on a much wider scale. Um, well, okay. I, I mean, I always think that, you know, the 56 solutions to healing trauma that are in the free ebook I did are about all the different ways that there are other than just EMDR. Never tried EMDR. <laughs> you've never tried it. See, there you go. So there are loads of different ways to heal trauma. And just because EMDR is kind of, you know, a bit out there at the moment, doesn't necessarily mean it's the only way or the best way or... There's many, many paths and yeah. for everybody. And it's not about... A self-help guide is it you know because what works for me might not work for you you know yeah and I what works for me today might not work for you tomorrow or in five years time you know you like you were saying your San Pedro was towards the end of your therapy journey mm -hmm. you've probably done already enough work on embodiment and being in the body and staying and tolerating emotions before you did that whereas you know, some clients, we would say, don't, don't you, you know, you need to gently come into the body first before you start doing anything else. So, 
when I was because I very nearly didn't become a mum so I used a lot of hypnosis because I was so scared of childbirth but then when my memories came back I thought the hypnosis had planted these memories <laughs> so then I didn't trust what the hypnosis had done but it did actually really help me but my mind was so suspicious then that I thought oh it's just the hypnosis it's planted these false memories in my head <laughs> listen I've been on a regression weekend where I had to lay on a slab on the floor and have my head chopped off that's part of the <laughs> because apparently it was something to do with my trauma was something to do with the previous lifetime mm. anyway i suddenly decided after that weekend that i had enough to contend with in this lifetime i didn't think i'd go back <laughs> so the things we do right well, i think that, that i mean part of the diversity question which i think is something that needs to be talked about is you know about bringing in you know black Asian people into this space, but also understanding the cultural dynamics of what trauma looks like in, in different cultural backgrounds, you know, yeah. so the experiences. So not only do you need to be trauma informed, but you need to be, you know, culturally informed. So when you're working with someone, it's like, you know, the, the shame or the blame or the, or the cultural consequences can be incredibly different, you know, arranged marriages, for example, you know, that's just one that popped into my head. It has a whole cultural different dynamic around what happens and what their parameters of what is permissive or non-permissive behavior. So, you know, looking for it just through a Western lens, but, but even more than that, just in the space of understanding trauma from that sense of being othered and feeling othered, you know, yeah. so that is about racism, that is about yeah. you know, homophobia, that is about transphobia all of those things are yeah. going to be impact impactful life experiences for someone yeah. and so if people can't see themselves in a space you know yeah. um then how are they going to be able to you know to heal in a way that's appropriate and and for them so i think in terms of inclusivity there's definitely something to be done to be making sure that all spaces are open and available to all people yeah you know? i hear you i agree yeah. that's something lou and i talked about when we did a webinar recently is you know extending the lens yeah. extending the understanding and the lens of what trauma is um, mm -hmm. and as you say just making it making it more inclusive <clears throat> and I think you know what this comes back to which we've already covered today is starting with the education starting in schools um, and, and making it normal to talk about this stuff from a from a young age um and and what i hope um that comes out of the black lives matter movement what i hope comes out of covid um is more normalization around trauma yeah yeah and it's also you know kind of if you are neurodiverse and that's a question of you know is is that trauma based or or not you know but kids that are you know that have ADHD or on the autism spectrum in a you know um, a normative school system is going to be traumatizing you know and so when you look into the prison system the amount of young people that have you know some neurodiversity you know that the, the naughty child the bad child thing so again that's that's something that is really key I think to this conversation of widening as you said widening the aperture as, as yeah. Kate my uh, co-host often says you know it's it's the bigger picture of just 
um, what are the parameters of, of normality, you know, um, and how can we make that yeah. a, a society which is for everybody, really? Yeah. Let's just eradicate the word normal. Yeah, I, exactly <laughs> what I wanted to say. Yeah, what is bloody normal? Yeah. There is no normal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Forget that word. Yeah. Um, I Any think more questions? I think there's uh, there's a few kind of um, more specific ones about people's kind of current situations. And I think what we would perhaps encourage um, is to seek some, you know, support in the group, um, in the trauma thrivers group, you know, ask these questions, get feedback from each other, get support from each other. Um, there are so many amazing people in the trauma thrivers group, clinicians, therapists, healers, um, you know, if you're, if you've got questions about specific cases with clients that you're working with, um, and, and you want to get some support around that, then, then post away. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we've gone 10 minutes over what we said that we would do, uh, which was tops an hour. Mm -hmm. And I hope that those of you that have been here live, thank you very much for joining us. We hope that it's been a beneficial hour and you've enjoyed it. And for those watching later, still feel free. I think you can add comments and questions underneath and maybe we'll all come back in tomorrow and have a look and see if you want to ask any of us individually anything and we can check back in tomorrow or the day after and answer those for you but also a great thank you to you three really for you, you know well I'm just delightful that we've got the space and that we're all talking trauma and that I have people like you in the group you know to help guide it and yeah, my mission, I suppose, is to try and make trauma treatment affordable and accessible for all. So that's what I'll be doing at some point in the not too distant future, I hope. But in the meantime, I think we should do this again. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so, thank you so lovely. much. Thank you for being such an Thanks, everyone. Maybe people might want to comment, you know, what kind of lives they would like. Are there any particular coming in. subjects? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a really good idea, Mads. Yeah, thank you for that. Mm. If anybody's got any comments or ideas or, or subjects or something that they want us to drill down into maybe more deeply, share away. And if you've been inspired, particularly about you know, what we said today and, and Madeline and Mandy, I think said more about storytelling. Mm -hmm. We have got Share It Sunday. So it is your opportunity to share your story in here on a Sunday. So, um, and we are a safe and very loving bunch. Anyway, enough said. Lovely, thanks guys. Thanks everybody. Bye. And we'll see you soon. And I'm gonna try and stop the live. All right, take care, lots of love. Bye.